When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the Final Word Cricket Podcast. Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. It's season 14. It's episode 19, perhaps. It's the middle of June. It's a warm, pleasant day. We're at Sixes. We're on the balcony outside Sixes, which is, you know, if you want a bar where you can play cricket while listening to Groove Armada, this is the place for you. <laughs> and at uh, last. Yeah, we, we're, we're actually at Westfield. We were talking about it a lot during the week, so we had to put our mouth where our mouths had been. I guess we had to go to Copper Chimney and, and see if we could cop a feed, and we did. Um, so we're, we're feeling pretty good. I had to get my passport stamped coming over to West London, but it's been worth it. Yeah, the... Um the copper chimney fee was an absolute belter. So that we, I joked on the daily shows that we've been flirting on on Instagram DMs, and it, yes, it came to fruition that we were able to eat there. Thought it, not that we're having a day off. Far from it. We've been working since uh, the start of day, and we'll work till dusk. But and that we would record out here before we head up to Birmingham for the first Ashes Test on Friday, which is daunting in and of itself. I note that, and we're both still a little bit husky. Yeah, um, I made reference to us. Um, recording the day after the World Test Championship final yesterday with Storytime. And if you listen to it a certain way, the impression you could get is we were out partying after they oh. won. Uh, no, that no. wasn't the case. We were just no. knackered from the week that was. Yeah, I was just awake all night coughing. You know that thing where you find when you're standing up and then as soon as you lie down, you can't breathe? Oh. It's yes. just so annoying, right? So you, you can either sort of do a Dracula-style thing and, like, sleep hanging from your heels upside down off the shower rail um, or just be up all night. At the same time as that, trying to organise the um, seating plan for my wedding, which yep. is equally as daunting as yep. those who have done it before would surely remember. So pretty much there. Uh, and, we're, we're, you know, we've got, we've got some... In fact, I won't say what Rachel and I are doing tonight. That sounds bad. I won't say what we've got wedding-related coming up tonight. Okay, right. Um, but we've got a few more things in, in the pipeline. But, yeah, it's a, it's a busy time. Yeah. Um, it, there's a lot going on in our lives, uh, work and otherwise. So I thought we would use this day, beautiful afternoon, to be here. And um, we're going to pop you in the nets later and hit some dingers uh, before yep. we go our separate ways as well. Dingers, dingers. Yeah, I passed the putt shack on the way in. Um, <laughs> my, my nemesis baby. shook my fist at it as I went by golf whatever is the point now you 
explain something to me that I don't understand. So basically, from what I've seen online, everybody I know who has children has posted about an episode of Bluey, and everyone I know who does not have children has not. There's been a very stark divide. Starker right, right. than. So I'm going to, I'll layer my question with this. When I came into this country via Gatwick not long ago, I was confused for a moment. I was like, because I had to get my passport stamped for a, a, a visa thing. So I was in the queue rather than going through the e-gates. Right. And I was like, why does everybody else in this queue have a small child with them? And then I realised it's because you can't take small children through the e-gates. So it was just every toddler in the airport and me, you know. <laughs> and you know you know that I'm, I'm an enthusiastic uncle yep. for like 45 minutes at a time. You love it. And then I need it to stop. You do. And I need to go and be an adult again. And so for, you know, the, the 45 minutes I was standing in this queue with, I'm going to say conservatively 85 screaming toddlers, <laughs> all just going berserk, tearing things out of suitcases, tipping the prams over, screaming. I've got my noise cancelling headphones on, but they can only do so much. Yeah. It, was, it was as close to a literal representation of hell as I could imagine. It's usually better than that, but when you get off long-haul flights, yeah. that is the highest degree of difficulty. Oh, yeah. And we've done that a lot with Winnie, less so oh, with It's Peggy. nobody's fault. It's yeah. just... It's just they're so ratty by that point. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the episode in question called Cricket, it started entering my timeline on Sunday night. Yeah. Like, I've got to see this. And this part of season three hasn't made it to the UK yet. Okay. Disney have the early distribution rights. I don't know why they're not playing this part of the... Anyway different complaint. Uh, so I, but someone, one of our listeners indeed, sent me a, um, a video of it, which was very, very kind of them. I might say who in case they get prosecuted for pirating kids TV or whatever, whatever that would amount to. But, oh, Wait, hang on. Pirates of the Caribbean. Disney love pirates. Quite. <laughs> but no, this is like, the, the beauty of Bluey is it's an adult show made for kids that <laughs> just don't, it's, it's, it's got to, it's I didn't do anything. If, you, if you've seen the video of that, my eyebrow moved ever so slightly. Enough, enough, enough. It, it's it's, it's um, got multiple constituencies. Do you remember how exciting the um, the AO designation used to be? They don't use that anymore, but on TV shows when do we were I? kids, adults only, you'd be like, ooh, Tango and Cash, AO. You know. Scrolling through the yeah. Sunday newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> See what's on telly that week yeah. on SBS on a Tuesday. Mm. Yeah, so uh, back to the more wholesome stuff. Yeah, so like this is a, a show that, that prides itself on being able to make the parents cry, right? Like the kids get excited, the parents cry. Okay. It just knows how to hit that yep. right note constantly because um, it's very relatable about like suburban life in Brisbane and all the rest of it, despite the fact that we're looking at a bunch of blue healers. But bear sure. with me here, bear with me here. And the premise of this episode is that... I love this, like pe people getting mad because the Little Mermaid is black, but also they're happy <laughs> that the family of talking dogs <laughs> is extremely relatable. You know? Well, Rusty is a character we see from time to time, loves cricket, and they've got to get Rusty out. They're at a kid's birthday party uh, and, and they're all taking their turns at bowling at Rusty and I, you know, I won't, give, I won't give away too much, although sure. it, it, it's hard to give away the plot of a seven minute show. They is Rusty a, lot a red healer? Yes, yeah, so R Rusty's a okay. you know, little little red one, and th there are so many perfect cricket bits. There's this piece where I mean I'm going to you know, I was crying watching it this morning with Winnie. Keep it together here. There's this bit where he has he has a great square cut where his favourite shots are square cut. So they change the field. It's really nicely done graphically. They show how they tweak the field to put in a backward point in the gully. Really, um, they're doing like the Channel Nine visualization yeah, thing. With it's the so dots. clever. It is so clever, <laughs> and. Um, to get out this kid, right? Where's Mark Nicholas? Exactly. Where's um, Where's Tony Gregg with the with the pen? And the next ball, he bisects the two fielders, and that's because, in a very again relatable scene about 
and they, it's all about where Rusty's kitchen is. And he plays the cut shot the first time, or the square cut as they describe it, into his mum doing the washing up. And then he had to teach himself how to play it uh, with more with better direction okay so they set him up hitting a ball up against the back ball with a water tank like bradman uh -huh. and it's so it's so well done I, I can't say so that's how he scores and then there's a letter from his dad about because his dad's clearly away that's the start of the show his dad's not there dad's writing him a letter okay about how when fast bowling comes it's rusty's main challenge is fast bowling you either back away or you're getting behind it and play a pull shot and you kind of you see him getting the line and pulling a ball away against the big kids against the hard ball and his dad's clearly in the military on deployment. That's another layer of emotion on top of that. He's not there right. with his dad. Um, and in the last scene, when he finally gets out, yep. and went, one more ball, one more ball, and he intentionally spoons a catch to his little sister, so his sister gets to feel like she's part of the action. Then he walks off the ground, and then you get like transported into the Gabba, and it's pretty obvious that he goes on to play for Australia. It's, it's, just, it's just so good. It is just the most perfectly constructed script. Every cricket bit is spot on. It's not, you know, like when you watch fictionalised cricket stuff. Yeah. Take the Bodyline miniseries, for example. The cricket stuff is usually shit. Yeah. This one, all the little notes, clearly written by someone like us, right? Midsummer Murders. Just hits it to mid-on and just takes a run. <laughs> you can't just hit it straight at mid-on and take a run. Uh, and it goes on to, yeah, like there's, uh, they have the bluey bracket where you always get to vote on your favourite bluey shows on okay. Twitter. It's quite a big thing. Sleepy Time's the one that makes everyone cry every time. Yep. And Baby Race is the other one. This goes on the podium with mm -hmm. those two. It, it might even be number one. Okay. So I'm so glad. And I genuinely feel this way. Like Winnie said to me this morning, she wanted to watch Rusty play cricket, right? This will have as big an influence on young people, like little, really little kids picking up and following cricket than anything they see on TV of real people doing it. Blue Healers playing cricket, because Blue is such a cultural phenomenon, will get more kids playing cricket. And isn't that just an amazing thing? Like a cartoon can help make our game healthier into the future. Like it's, it's a nice postscript. I thought you weren't going to give the plot away, but, but you've given a synopsis of the plot that actually went for a, longer than a 30 the 30-second summary. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, at, we're at about seven minutes okay. of Bluey at the moment. So, you know, that can be found out there on the on the ABC, I suppose, yeah, on if the, you're on able On the to dark web, it. well, not the dark web, but on, well away from conventional uh, in, in the UK. I think it's on YouTube, pirated already. But, yeah, ABC iView. We, we should get them on actually because they've done cricket a few times on Bluey and they've always done a great yeah. job with it. Maybe get the um, we should get maybe we get the writers on. Yeah. Oh, um, Mark maybe Davis. maybe we'll record a podcast and then we'll get them to re-record it everything we say but in the voices of Bluey characters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah do we have a spare like two hundred grand? That's probably what we'll need yeah. in order to. All right. Thank you for filling me in. I will at some point find myself watching Bluey. You must. Now, I wanted to talk to listeners of the show briefly about ads on the show, because mm -hmm. this is a thing, obviously, if you listen to it, you know there are ads at the start and there's an ad break in the middle. One thing that is good that is coming is that we're going to have an ad-free feed on Patreon. This has been something we've been talking about with people for a while and we've trying to figure out how to do it. it. We, we sort of said we're getting there, yeah. and we are getting there, but it's closer now. Well, I haven't 100% figured out how to do it. I've, I'm sort of, we're in the process of working out yeah. how to do that, but it will be available hopefully in the next couple of weeks so that if you sign up on Patreon for whatever amount, it doesn't matter, um, you'll still be able to access a feed without, and that, that means the automatic programmatic ads. So if there's something that you and I talk about on the show, like we had lunch at Copper Chimney, then that will be in the show, but it's, it'll be the, the auto placement ads. That yeah, little, the little 30 second ads that have been part of what we've done for 12 months now. So the reason we're recalibrating everything, we're 12 months in, naturally there's feedback both ways and yep. we're, we're working out where we go for the next 12 months and part of that has been you know the, the ability for us 
to, to have this ad-free feed, which we're, yeah, which we're encouraged by. Yeah, so basically the way it used to work when we did one show a week and we had Patreon, then that basically covered the one show a week and that works. When we're doing the incredibly deranged kind of program that we're doing now where it's uh, it has been up to nine episodes in a week before we need to have the commercial part it's just an unavoidable reality of it so the label that we're working with after the first year we've done they've said to us that we need to have a second break in the show in order to make it work to yep. keep it sustainable so that means there'd be a break around about half an hour and a break around about an hour into the show so we we're going to do things as a three segment model generally we've done a kind of two segment show to this point it will be a three segment and i know that's not um, going to delight everybody but there is the option if you don't want that that you can uh, subscribe for a very low amount and then be part of the patron feed as well and we've been getting used to doing the show in threes in the last month or so like training ourselves how to do that the discipline of having our segments broken into yep. half an hour chunks so it, it shouldn't feel too different but yeah extra ad but yeah, as you say the other side of it is they're, they're very reasonable about us having that that extra feed at the same time so hopefully the lived experience won't be too different yeah so if you're someone like me who just really finds it hard to come at being interrupted when you when you're focused on something then you do have the alternative from this point on so yeah drop us a line if you want to know any more about that and we're open to feedback it's always been a a, a relationship i guess like yeah. people who are listening to the show we want to know what pisses you off what doesn't work you know we we want it to be a, a an open communication on that sort of front yeah and we're just doing the best we can to make this be our primary job right um i know jeff and i we both do other things but you think about what the the allocation of labor was in 2019 when we were making the sure. daily shows it was like how do we find 15 minutes to make the daily program yeah, when yeah, we're yeah. doing six other things and just trying to stay afloat as freelancers? Well, we don't really do other much other work yeah. now. This is our job and the, the 120-odd daily shows we're making this year and the 120-odd probably as well <laughs> weekly story time <laughs> interview shows. Yep. It's just a different world and that's great. Like We're proud of that, but um, it also means we need to always remain kind of uh, vigilant uh, and that's why we're going through this process at the moment. So, yeah, bear with us a bit, but we're, we're, I think we're landing in a good place. The World Test Championship wash-up, there were some amusing little bits coming out of this. Um, the, 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 the huge overrate fines, India fined 100% of their match fee, Australia 80% of theirs. Uh, Shubman Gill 15% as well for popping up that still image of Cameron Green's catch on social media. So does he have to pay to play is he at 115 percent or is it is it like concurrent sentences like served concurrently yeah. that you can't be docked more than 100 percent as per uh we cannot give 110 percent by definition 100 percent is the most that any person can give it must be concurrent right because you know they're not going to ask him for more money i've always been fascinated by the idea of being fined a percentage of one's match fee because yeah. match fees aren't paid by the ICC. Okay. So are they levying a fine? Yeah. Are they contributing money? Are they redistributing money back yeah. from CA to the players, then to the ICC? I've always yeah, been does, cynical. Do they write a check? Do they send it to the ICC? And then does India get 38% of that check back <laughs> in the redistributions <laughs> when they're... Good point. Yeah. Good point. Now, I, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit cynical about this. Until proven otherwise, I'm never going to believe they actually pay it. But, you know, because match fees come, as we know, that each board has a different match fee. It's not sure. like, it, I mean, I'd love a world where match fees were sorted Uniform. unilaterally by the ICC and they're all the same. It would be one way of levelling up the disparity between the bigger nations and the smaller nations. But I think the Australian players get, is it 25 grand a test match or something like that? It's in that vicinity. Yeah, about 20. And, and it's about a tenth of that if you're playing a test match for South Africa. So does that mean that if you're fined 10% of your match fee, 
for South Africa that you'll just find a smaller... I mean, again, all of this doesn't quite yeah. tally for me. So, and, and the other parts of this is that they're saying that only nine of the 37 overs lost to bad overrates in that test match are being dealt with. Right. So does that mean that 28 overs worth of allowances, acknowledging that there was two hours of extra half an hour? Yeah. I know we've done this long episode. If you're a relative new listener to The Final Word... In 2021, we did a long episode with Andrew Sampson, master statistician, historian, about overrates. And we've also spoken to match referees on the show and had a much better handle on how this process works. There are deductions taken for every wicket, for every DRS review. It's a dynamic process between the umpire and, and the match referee. But yeah, it means that we had two hours of extra time played out, each day, of course, half an hour per day on days one through four. And they were still 37 overs short and only nine overs of that. So what's 28 times four minutes? That's right. another two hours. They said, no, that's cool. Yep. A whole session, effectively. They said, oh, we'll write that off. Write off a session. Give me a spell. Of, out of four uh, it's, days. it's just convenient because it would have been too embarrassing saying we are finding Australia 200% of their match fee. Yeah. The reason they've capped it at this is, again, call me a cynic, but it's easier to say we're finding them for five overs and four overs, respectively, um, because that is a lot easier than trying to explain why they're finding them you know, 220 and 180% of their match fee if they find them at all in the first place. So it's all a bit silly, but I don't know. Nothing's ever going to change. So. <laughs> well, no, not, not, not the way that things are going at the moment. I mean, and, and people who say we shouldn't worry about overrates, I'd be fine with that as long as they re-legislate and say that it's 70 overs in a day. Like, if, if, yep. if, you, if you say it's going to be 90 overs in a day, then it needs to be 90 overs in a day. And if you think that that's too many, then it, you make the number different. Or you, or you play for longer. There, there yeah. are two ways of doing this. And I, I don't think they should play for longer, by the way. But in, in championship cricket, they do. If you don't get your overs in, you don't get your 96 in, you keep playing while the light's sufficient. Um, so that's one model. The other model is finding a way to lower the amount of overs per day. The, the third option is to levy punishments via penalty runs, which would be the most, most logical way of yeah. keeping players in check inside the first four days of a test Which, match. Which, again, but only works some of the time because in some match situations, it's not going to matter to certain teams true. at certain yeah, times. You know, true. when you're 400 ahead with a couple of sessions to go. Lots of other stuff going on. We've actually got Ali Martin from the Guardian newspaper joining us for the second segment today to talk more about England stuff and Mo and Ali since the last time we recorded with the, the weekly show, which was nine days ago previous Sunday, Mo yep. and Ali's been picked for the England squad unexpectedly, a bit of a throwback there. So we'll go into all of that with Ali. But from an Australian perspective, Josh Hazelwood's been doing media today. I don't expect he'll play. They've been getting his loads up in the nets and, and all the other ways that they do this these days by bowling yep. multiple spells across a number of hours in a training session. But I, I'd be very surprised if they, if they don't just go with the attack they had that won at the Oval and have the flexibility to bring Hazelwood in when they start their rest and rotation process after the first match. Exactly what they did, Jeff, in, in 2019 when Hazelwood didn't play at Edgbaston yeah. and was which, fantastic at Lords. Which he cited today as well. He said, look, that's how we did it last time. We did a rotation. He said, I, you know, I want to play the first test, but um, he said, honestly, if I get three out of six in this summer, that's probably a pass mark. And if I get four out of six, then I'd be delighted. Right. Um, so, you know, he's taking a realistic approach to things. Yep. And I think that's smart to, to come yep. into it with that that sort of understanding that it has to be a team effort, especially given this is even more condensed than 2019 in terms of packing in, you know, the, the six test matches rather than five into such a short space of time. And also the idea of getting a test in the legs. Like, Australia's bowlers looked more grooved the deeper into the test match they went, yep. I thought, with the exception of a, a poor start to the second innings. Like, Stark's a good example of this. He, his best bowling was on the final morning. 
when he picked up not only a couple of wickets, but looked to be more threatening with his angles and so on. Yep. And Boland looks better in the... And Cummins in was the brilliant innings. at the start of the final day, building that pressure with Boland in the way that Cummins does so well. So, yeah, they're not, they're not playing a tour game, as we've said before, and they've, they've now had their... You know, they've had their, their first big hit out, and a serious hit out it was. Yeah. I think that they'd be, they'd be best served going in with the side that, that won it, um, that won it at the Oval last week. I'd be, you know, I'd be shocked if they didn't. The only other sport I had on social media, Jeff, since the final was over, where's Morris Newman? Morris Newman, who, um, who wrote that scathing opinion piece after the Delhi Test match about how these uh, lily-livered, woke Australian cricketers under Pat Cummins couldn't win anything because since Justin Langer left, they were... They bereft. Were, yeah, they were bereft. They're a bunch of cuck simps and, you know, whatever else he said in that absurd piece in The Australian. Um, why can't a journey get on? Well, maybe we could. Daddy, pick up Michael. Morris Newman, um, I'd, I'd love to hear what he has to say after Australia, you know, really gusted out to win a World Test Championship final against India when the crowd support was running 95-5 against and were sent in on the first day and you know, had to bowl out India on the final day and did so tremendously well. I after mean, drawing and winning their last two games against India. After drawing and winning their last two games against India. Yeah. Maybe you fired them up, I don't know. But um, yes, he's a he's a broken, uh, so maybe we shouldn't give him any air time. But yes, I, I did think of him uh, when <laughs> Australia was celebrating, as they did with their trophies. Uh, <laughs> they had the, the, the T20 World Cup, the 50 over World Cup and the, and, the, and the mace for the five of them have played in, in all three campaigns. So Cummins, Warner, Smith, Stark and, and Hazelwood, that's the, the group of five, um, which was really nice. I saw that really angered some of the usual suspects who say, well, England won the last 50 over World Cup and the last T20 World Cup people were getting very grumpy about. Okay. I saw one guy who's allegedly a journalist getting especially like, really incensed by them. Like, Does it, it's, a, it's a photo op. Doesn't mean that Australia didn't win the World Cups that they won. Yeah, I know. That's the know. thing about World Cups is the ones that you win, you win forever. <laughs> Wow. Weirdly, you keep the trophy. <laughs> they make a new trophy. It's not just the same one. It really doesn't matter. Anyway, Jeff, we've got some more work to do before we get to our interview. We've got plenty to come. We've got the Women's Ashes Test Squad coming up, a bit of county championship as well. But for now, let's play a little game of Nerd Pledge. I'm not going to startle the people of Westfield, <laughs> London, by yelling that over the balcony. But Nerd Pledge is the game that we play with listeners to this show. Everyone on the patron page just about who supports the show does so aside from our julio pledges they do so via the medium of nerd pledge which means they send through a contribution not in a normal amount of currency in a specific amount that relates to cricket in some way and we have to figure out what it means sam davies is our nerd pledger a first timer i believe hello sam with a generous 14 dollars 50 in oh. aud Welcome to the show, Sam Davies. He's got a clue for you. You're going to look at this one, Jeff. My pledge of 14.5, as opposed to 14.50, relates to the winning number of a team despite being four down after three overs. Yeah, 14.5. Um, well, I sort of thought that this is 145. Or yep. Uh, well, the fact we... that he's left the he's left the zero out in the clue yeah, would true. indicate that he's wanting to the pledge 14.50. winning but... number of a team. Okay, well... Let's have a wander here. Now, I'll say up front, if this is a domestic game, then I do not have a prayer of trying to solve this because a team being four down after three overs and winning, I feel like that's the sort of fact that you either know or you don't know. There yes. would be some matches where it's happened, but not many, and you would know about them or you wouldn't know about them. We use various databases for stats crunching, and what I don't have is a means to look for the over in an innings when a partnership started. 
a lot of scorecards don't have that. They'll have the might have the fall of wickets in terms of runs and wickets, but they won't have what over it happened in the older scorecards, especially. So to try to figure this out, I had to look at fifth wicket partnerships and then find the lowest scores when a fifth wicket partnership had begun. So when a team was four for the lowest amount, okay, and then look at through those by hand up until a point where it would not be credible for that many runs to have been scored in three overs. So I set my bar at four for 20. I was like a team that's lost flooded up, lost four wickets, exactly, wouldn't have scored more than 20 runs after three overs, I'm pretty sure, unless it was a Brendan McCullough. Do you think we're still going to make weird culture jokes when we're 50? Probably, yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> probably. So Suddenly that doesn't seem so far away. Now, even looking at scorecards with a team that's, say, four for 12, a lot of the older scorecards don't have the fall of wicket information for the over number, even when you go into the scorecard manually. But I was actually able, with every test I looked at, um, every match I looked at, in fact, which I was pretty pleased with, I was able to figure it out from information like the number of balls faced might be recorded or glean bits from the match report to figure out that it was more than three overs. For instance, England in 1890 were four for 20, but Arthur Shrewsbury was the second out and he batted for 30 minutes. So they must have faced more than three overs in 30 minutes. Right, yes. Um, the West Indies in Delhi in 1987, I was pleased with this one. Gordon Greenwich is out second ball, Richie Richardson second ball, Viv Richards at ninth, Gus Logie second ball. That's 15, 15 balls, which means it could have come within the first three overs, but the report says Desmond Haynes had not scored when the fourth wicket fell. So that means that he must have faced a maiden over yes. in the first three because he couldn't have got off strike. 23 balls. Yeah, unless he got off strike balls. via a, an extra, but there was only one leg by and three buys in the entire innings. So the chances of one of them coming in that first couple of overs, yep. I think I felt pretty safe in saying that that wouldn't have been within the first three overs. Anyway, it doesn't leave Viv room to face nine balls, basically, if, yes. if he faces a maiden. So, there was no men's test where I could find that this had happened. There was no women's test that I could find. There's one women's ODI, South Africa versus the West Indies in 2005, when they're four for 13, I think it was, but that was in the fourth or fifth over. Any of the 10 men's ODIs where they're four for 20 or less are not in time with the overs. There is one women's T20 that does fit. England, in 2012, lost four wickets in three overs against New Zealand. Tammy Beaumont was still playing back then. I mean, it seems sure bizarre was, that yeah. she's, she's been around for that long. Jenny Gunn and Lydia Greenway, they chip in with some runs and get them to 108 and they defend it. But there's no 145 or 14.5 sort of thing on the scorecard. And there are three men's T20 internationals where there have been four wickets within the first three overs and that team then goes on to win. Papua New Guinea against Kenya, Estonia against Cyprus, and then there's this game, Adam. Belgium versus Austria at Waterloo in oh, 2021. Wow. Now, the last time that Austria came to Waterloo, they came away with a win. <laughs> um, but on this occasion, things start out very well for the Got Austrians. Got the big W. <laughs> Napoleon the big L. Um, three catches and a run out, four down in the first 16 balls, the Austrians bowling. The Belgian captain at six down, he holds it out in the fourth over. They're five for 12. And then the first drop, who's managed to face six balls by this point, is LBW. So, and there are a couple more catches get given up. So the players out have made 3-1, 3-0, 4-1, 0-8 wickets down for 14. And then at number eight, a gentleman named Saber Zakil says, not today, Austria, <laughs> not today. He looks his number 10 square in the eye, Saklain Ali, and he says, we're not having this. We are not having this from Austria. Not from the country that gave us you-know-who. 
From eight for 14, he proceeds to hit eight sixes, five fours, makes an even hundred from 47 balls. And at the other end, Sacklane makes 26 from 39. So the strike rate at one end is 212, at the other end at 66. The number 11 is not called upon. Imagine being eight for 14 at number 11, you're ready to go in next ball and you don't even have to bat. They make 146 for eight. The nerve pledge was 145. Is it possible this was a digit off? 146, 145? There are so, so few you games. You must have been just elated when you saw the scorecard. Ah, oh, but it, I mean, this is an incredible scorecard, but the number's not quite there. And I'm not prepared to j'accuse of there's been a, another typo here um, from Sam Davies. So is it possible that there was? There could have been, but there are so few options in terms of games where this could have, could have been the one. The final quirk is this. Austria lose a couple of wickets early. Little recovery, lose a third wicket. They're 37 for three after six overs and it starts raining. DLS target invoked, which is 50 runs. They only lose by 12. <laughs> so Belgium win by 12 despite this wonderful, insane counter-attack. Um, and if Austria had got a wriggle on or hadn't lost so many in the first six overs, they might have pinched it. What a rollercoaster ride for a game that only lasted, what, 26 overs? Yes. 26.1 Wild scenes. <laughs> Thank you, Sam Davies. I hope that you enjoyed Jeff's answer, even if it isn't right, and I hope you don't take offence to him suggesting that you might have got your number wrong. You can contribute to what we do at patreon.com forward slash the final word. It's the, it's the place where people are, um, well, they're not gathering on Patreon, they're gathering on Discord. Yep. You get the magic key to Discord from there. And this Saturday night, I think it is at Birmingham, we're having a nice big yep. um, meet-up of uh, the final nerds, as, as they call themselves, our final word listeners on Discord, which will be just spiffy. So, yep. um, and I hope, I hope that Saber Zakhil is there. I hope he can get over <laughs> from Belgium, if someone can put the word out, um, and tell us about the day he made 100 off 47. Get over from, get over from Waterloo. That's the end of segment one. Uh, we're going to take a breather. On the other side of the break, Ali Martin will be joining us. Mostly me. You're there at the start, Jeff, and I take over from there when you had to run off and do something else. And then we will talk more about the Women's Ashes, the Charlotte Edwards Cup final, and the county championship and some other bits and bobs. I'm Glenn Maxwell. Make sure you listen to my favourite podcast, The Final Word. Great to have a returning guest, Ali Martin, with us, the cricket correspondent of the Guardian newspaper and regular guest on the show over the years. Uh, you're at your home ground of Edgbaston, your adopted home ground anyway, and um, one of your own, Moen Ali, is going to be playing in the first test match. And we thought we'd get you to come on and talk about Moeen, who you've known for a long time and done a lot of work with, and also the, the broader Ashes build-up. Moeen was speaking today. What was your impression of his, uh, his, well, your impression of his impressions of how he's ended up back in the England team? <laughs> Do you know what? It was it was vintage Mo, to be honest. And, um, uh, yeah, very fulsome in his answers. Uh, very relaxed on this Ashes return. Uh, and a nice little nugget to start with, which was the text message from Ben Stokes, which kicked it all off, which was just one line, Ashes question mark, to which <laughs> Moen replied, LOL. <laughs> so, um, uh, but yeah, from um, that was on the Sunday night after Jack Leach's injury. Uh, a couple of days to think about it. Some meetings, obviously, even the Prime Minister was calling for his return. <laughs> Um, he, he said that his wife, Feruza, wasn't uh, too keen, uh, but everyone else was. And he's kind of, you know, he's kind of seeing what this team's been doing over the last little while. And, uh, yeah, I think he wants a piece of it. How has he ended up in this position, though? Because he's he's almost at Shahid Afridi levels now. He re- 
retired kind of sort of took a break from Red Bull cricket in 2019 after getting belted out of one Ashes test. Then he comes back and plays in India in 2021 was it and then sort of almost says that maybe he's done with test cricket then he's back playing against India in England and he's vice captain for one test match then he retires again and now he's out of retirement for you could almost say the fourth time like how has it what is it in his personality that's made him keep coming back because there, there hasn't been a lot of decisiveness no there hasn't probably on that front and i probably i'd say that everything up to this particular recall you could probably file under a similar belt in that you know he kind of i think his his love and passion for test cricket was always there but i think he found it a bit of a struggle towards the end equally at the same time his white ball career was taking off i mean you you know we're now talking about a guy who's got uh what two world cup winners medals two ipl titles uh led worcestershire to a you know pretty unfancy blast uh, a few years ago as well so he could easily have been very sated at this point but i I think in this particular instance it really is the pull of stokes and as he was keen to stress this at the ashes you know i mean on a personal level yeah the stats aren't great against australia but equally you've got to remember that 2015 he came into that side and some pretty good contributions in a three three two win that summer and it's kind of it's kind of in Australia where his record got torched. There was that one Test match here, as you say, at Edgebaston. But I think I think there's probably a little bit of sense of unfinished business for him as well to go with it. In terms of his role, what he can do in that team, how how is he going to approach that? Because the Jack Leach job in that team was a very different one to the kind of one that that Moen Ali has been able to do as a spin bowler. Yeah, typically they didn't expect Jack Leach to take a lot of wickets. He was just supposed to hold up an end, go at you know two and a half and over and let the fast bowlers operate around him Moen's a more attacking sort of bowler he's a less consistent kind of bowler I, I mean it must be tricky coming into a side you're a replacement but you're not a like-for-like replacement no not a like-for-like replacement and that, and that guy probably would have been Liam Dawson if you were just doing it purely on on sort of attributes and what had got them to this point with Leach and the way he was operating albeit I mean Leach has been operating in that time with some particularly attacking fields you know Stokes has had pretty much you know uh, mid on mid off have been up um, he really he might have a bloke at uh, a deep point perhaps for a bit of cover there if he drops short but other than that even the man up on the sweep on the 45 so it's kind of been an attacking role uh, by performed by a defensive bowler and you're right now the vacancies come up they've probably gone now to the attacking bowler a guy that lacks the consistency but equally well probably more so than Jack Leach is able to produce some magic deliveries along the way and that's kind of the, the sort of stardust that England are after because uh, at the moment they don't particularly care about the run rate it's about getting those 10 wickets as soon as possible plus an abundance of left-handers in that in that Australian mm. top order and yeah you can go back and say his record against those guys isn't too hot uh, to date but on a tactical level I, you know I can, I can see the switch there as well. well on the other side of it he's a left-handed batter which Nathan Lyon won't mind at all he's had a great record against him with the ball across a number of series and that that's perhaps the one um, the one part of this that, that doesn't make him the same player he used to be and that Moen Ali's batting these days is, well, he, look, we know he's the guy who had the ability to bat for an entire Test match day at Headingley a long time ago, nine years ago, when he first came into the England side. But he's a different player now. He swings hard from the get-go. And look, maybe that suits him too with the, the energy that Brendan McCullum and Stokes want him to bring to the side. Yeah, I mean, England have had a long tail in this period as well. They've, they've never been shy of picking, uh, picking four sort of frontline bowlers um, after the wicketkeeper. Uh, and his batting, when it will come off, you know, potentially does, you know, he's quite a sort of a good fit with the England style at the moment. It's just that, you know, there's another attacking player down there. And I think they're working on the base. I mean, it's interesting about Moen. He's so, I mean, he's, he's batting, you're right. He kind of think, I think he scored the last of his five test centuries in 2016. 
I'm pretty right in saying that he he got four that calendar year. He did, yeah. And then and then the following summer, with Joe Root having replaced Alistair Cooper's captain, moments back down at number seven, number eight. You know, playing that role. So, and thereafter the returns kind of fell away. I think he's a little bit unsure of his role down there. But um, he's also a player that's kind of doubly scrutinised. You know, this is kind of the all-rounders lot in life, isn't it? That you get doubly scrutinised. And you get held to standards of 40 with a bat and 20 with a ball that mm. are kind of unreachable um, for a lot of players, unless you're talking about absolute generational greats. And I think with that in mind, I think England will, if if one of his two facets is firing, uh, even if it's for you know brief cameos or I mean, for example, his fourth day, his fourth innings record for England is right up there. So you think he's third only behind Anderson and Broad himself. If, if, if there are enough interventions along the way, that fits the kind of sort of superhero cricket that they're trying to play at the moment. It's not necessarily about consistent returns. It's about seizing the moment. Maybe his best summer with the ball was 2017 when you mentioned Liam Dawson before. <laughs> they were able to say that Moeen was the second spinner and Dawson was the first spinner in order to make Moeen feel more at home or, or something like that. And it, the pressure mm-hmm. was off and he, he seemed to, to relish that. I, I do wonder, though, whether he'll get the chance to have the pressure off here. I gather at the press conference today, he is fully acknowledging that he's going to go around for a lot of runs. I mean, there's there's no mm. um, there's no misconceptions here. And that was the case in, in the 2019 Ashes series. That I remember that, that chastening experience in the second dig when he couldn't land it at all, and that precipitated his um, departure from the side in, in that series. But, yeah, if he gets held off, if they really go after him early on, kind of like what Australia did to Jack Leach at the Gabba a couple of years ago, one would hope that he'd have a... The ability to bounce back more than he was able to then. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I'd probably see a guy at the moment who's now probably more at peace with where he is. I think, you know, obviously I've earlier reeled off all those achievements and that's kind of where he's at in his career. He kind of described this as a bit of a free hit. And so maybe yeah. he wouldn't be as consumed by the anxiety that, that, that might result from a, a bit of a pacing. And also, you know, having played white ball cricket solid for two years, that, that's kind of you, that's what you get in T20 <laughs> as well. So, you know, you kind of you kind of go with the flow, which is actually a phrase, another phrase that he used in terms of going with the flow. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're almost using him as a kind of, almost like a leg spinner, right? And you're kind of, right. um, you're, you're, you're waiting for the moments, to, you're going to pick the moments. Now, a big deal, and we're kind of, I'm sort of got half an eye, as you can half see on training right now, is where Ben Stokes fits into all that, and in terms of his, his capacity to bowl. I think what often gets forgotten in that sort of slightly car crash edge bastion test that Moen had here four years ago was that Jimmy was out of the game four overs in. Yes, and that put a huge amount of extended pressure on a guy who was also, you know, having come straight off the back of a World Cup win, etc. And I think that was one of the many factors that hindered him there. The thing he's got to overcome this time, of course, is probably that lack of grooving. You know, it's two years. He was he was in his whites today and getting headshots with the snappers uh, before a fire alarm went off and kicked us all out onto the edge of road, <laughs> Moen included, standing out there in his whites. But this, this is literally the first time he's put his whites on in two years. And suddenly his alarm bells are ringing. Um, uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll put that on my piece later. Yeah, I was going to say. You that, get that what I mean? Yeah, it feels like a nice <laughs> intro for you there. Uh, for, for copy for the for the yeah. paper tomorrow. I mean, like the uh, yeah. Except I don't I don't I don't think England would. You know, we always we, we kind of talk about England from the outside and we look in the way they're seeing it. They, I don't think they have too many concerns that these guys are just sort of chewing gum, high on their own fumes, and um, you know, going to hit Australia with everything. Timing is everything for cricketers as it is for journalists sometimes. And you wrote a long piece about Moeen last week, which I assume you would have filed regardless had he been picked for the test squad or, or not, that this just turned out beautifully. But going back and telling the story of his return to Warwickshire, having been his home club and over at Worcester, you mentioned the Blast title they won back in, in 2018. But that that coming home piece and the fact that it is at Edgbaston this week, the first test match, makes it all the more, all the more special. Yeah, I think so. It's kind of like, it is the kind of, 
narrative that all journalists are kind of praying for when when these kind of things happen. But as you say, that particular piece I was writing about his, you know, his comeback for Warwickshire is a is a really big deal in Birmingham actually, and you know he has been playing for Birmingham Phoenix for a few years. But that really is just the you know that is the pop up franchise that that is around for four four or five weeks. You know, packs packs people into the grounds and what have you. This is a complete reconnection with a club that not only produced him but should and hopefully in time we'll be producing more Marinelli's because the talent down the road, uh, you know, we're talking a stone's throw from the ground, Spark Hill, those mm, kind of areas, mm. is off the charts, uh, and that is what the club now needs to unlock. And having Moen back, reconnected, and also with his dad as a very prominent local coach with his own clinics here at Edgebaston Indoor School, it's a really good fit for that on that side of things, uh, whatever happens. Um, but yeah, his, his return for work has been pretty brief because no, as soon as he uh, pulls on the shirt, uh, uh, along comes that uh, one-line text from Stokes, and uh, and here we are. Hell of a story. Mm. The legend of Spark Hill, he wrote that book last year, didn't he, with Tanya Aldred. We were meant to get Moeen yes. on. Talk about that. Moeen was meant to join us on the pod. We've never quite got around to that. We will at some <laughs> stage. Probably not now that he's playing in an Ashes series. But yeah, yeah unlocking. He's busy at the moment. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, you know, this is, this is not a, unrelated to the, the topic that we were discussing with Dr. Tom Brown a couple of weeks ago, the South Asian Cricket mm. Academy. So much of that's... Uh, focused around the Midlands and uh, and the part of the country that Moeen is from and part of the city of Birmingham that Moeen's from as well, like the idea that Moeen can be an example for a lot of young cricketers that um, there is a way to the top. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because he, he's had, pretty much since he made his test debut, he's had a lot of these sort of things placed on top of him, you know, uh, you know, as in terms of being a, f- a flag bearer um, for a community. And he's never, he's he never wanted it, but equally he's never shirked it. And there is such an authenticity there that comes with it as well. It's not even, you know, we're not kind of creating narratives here in terms of who he is and what he stands for. Um, you know, this is a guy who, he, as much as he played 16 years at Worcestershire, he never left Birmingham. He's an mm. absolute rock star of the community. I mentioned in that piece, in fact, that having lived here myself for seven years, I'm never, I, I cannot believe the amount of times, if you talk, chat cricket with a local, whoever they are, it might be down at a local club, it might be parents at school, it might be the shopkeeper, it might be the taxi driver, People know him and love him in these parts. Uh, he's a yeah, he's a kind of bona fide kind of local hero. Zooming out a bit to the um, the configuration of England's uh, pace attack, I mm. think where we were, where we've been talking on the podcast the last few weeks, thinking that it would be a kind of a two spots for Anderson, Broad, and, and Robinson, and one spot for uh, for Wooden and maybe Josh Tung after bowling quite quickly on debut at Lords. Is, is that still broadly how you're seeing it? And if that were to be the case, how do you think they'll line up? on Friday with Broad especially, do you think he'll find himself out of the starting 11? It's not impossible. Uh, and also, I mean, I mean, obviously one reaction to the Leach injury could have been to, to go extra extra seam. But we've had a, a pretty tropical few days here in Birmingham, not out of the ordinary. It's obviously a very beautiful, stunning part of the world. <laughs> um, but it has it has been baking hot and that pitch does look hot and dry already. They, they've actually got covers on it at the moment. I think they're trying right. to stop it going too far the other way. All right. So really a spinner, so really a spinner has to play. And then you're looking at, well, you know, Anderson and Robinson are kind of the new ball pairing now over the over the last sort of 12 months. Robinson only joined uh, late last summer, but he's very much inked in as Anderson's new ball partner now. So, yeah, it comes down to that decision. Do you want the extra pace of wood and you might want that to transcend what might be a quite a flat pitch here? Or do you go for the experience of Guile and, and just, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't think they'd pick one player to, to, you know, to have a crack at David Warner early because um, I don't think that's massively part of their thinking per se. Um, but you know, you know what you're going to get with Stuart Broad in that regard. Um, so really, it probably then comes back to that issue about Stokes. How many overs can he bowl? How much relief can he provide? Especially if Moen's going to probably 
go for a few. You know, Wood is a bowler who probably on, on a good day is sending down 15, maybe 17 overs max. Where do you get those extra overs from? I don't know. It, 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 that is kind of the decision they're going to have to make. Um, looking out there at the moment, uh, part of me thinks, you know, just just go for it. Go for it, go for it with Mark Wood, take the handbrake off and um, and see if you can get Australia hopping early. Um, but either which way they go, I, I think, you know, it's... It's a it's a reasonably settled attack. Um, who knows pretty much what they've been doing over the last twelve months, which is seems to be taking twenty wickets. Yeah, absolutely. It makes it. It must be the most highly anticipated Ashes series since two thousand and five. I mean, I think I've been at all of them since either watching or or, or covering them, and it just feels like uh, the amount of attention, external attention too. It's not just people like us who are deeply invested in it, but like outside of our cricket bubble, people are, mm. have had their heads turned by this England side, and the fact that it's now against the world champions makes it makes it all more interesting. Yeah, that, I mean that that has just added that extra layer to it, hasn't it, Australia? Because this is you know, it, it, and, and fair place Australia, you know, they, they are the best team in the world right now. I don't I don't think anyone can argue with that, um, and they are the team that kind of uh, have spawned this revolution in English cricket because of the absolute pasting they delivered in Australia 18 months ago. So, you know, they, they're the kind of, they're almost, it might be the monster that they've created, who knows? That's, mm. that's one of the many, many things you can say about this series. And yeah, it's also kind of transcending some of the long-standing issues with England, English cricket, Test cricket, and um, the Sky Paywall. Sky do amazing things for English cricket, but getting cricket into the national consciousness has proved a little bit more of a challenge since 2005 than it had done previously. Obviously, 2019 World Cup being a good example. Um, where, where it did do that um, and so but yeah the anticipation is high and it's 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 all to do with a how good this Australia team are b what they did to England and probably c what England have become in the intervening time and the absolute uh, pure energy of Ben Stokes that seems mm. to be driving you know it's, it's like coursing through everyone's veins right now it's just incredible belief isn't it like I remember when Owen Morgan was leading the one day team I interviewed him somewhere I think in New Zealand, it feels like about five or six years ago, and he said of the mm. 2019 World Cup, way ahead of it, oh, well, we'll get bowled out for, for 100 at some point, and that's fine. We don't care. We'll play the same way next time when they were taking a, an advanced attitude to one-day cricket between the 15 and 19 World Cups. And so it kind of was. You know, I remember they got rolled relatively cheaply at Leeds against Sri Lanka, and they went out and made 350 the next time against India to get back on track again, and, and the rest is kind of history. It does feel the same with this test side. Like, if... If they rock up on Friday morning and they bat first, I don't think it's likely they'd bat first if they win the toss on what we've heard from Stokes wanting to chase at all costs. But in the unlikely event that they were to bat first and get knocked over for 120, it feels like they'd walk out in the third innings and do exactly the same and, and so be it. Like, do you see any way where they'd revert to a plan B or, or will we expect the last 12 months to be what it'll be for the next two months as well? Yeah, I, I genuinely think that is the template, actually. And I saw Steve Waugh sort of questioning, you know, how, do England have a plan B here? And I kind of thought, well, you know, if you have a plan B, that means you don't have full faith in plan A. I, mean, yeah. I think, I mean, you know, they, 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 you know they, are, they are reasonably nuanced side with all this. Like, there's a kind of, I think there's a perception for people that maybe haven't watched every ball, every game, that this is this is slogging. It's not slogging. This no. is absolute calculated aggression. It's almost in, it's, it's pretty similar to that Morgan side in terms of the yeah. what they did to the middle overs in 50 over cricket. This is strong, positive batting. Uh, and the two times that they've gone over six in the first innings, which was Raul Pindi and then Ireland at, at Lords. It wasn't massive shots. It wasn't, you know, taking huge calculated risks. This was just strong, positive, aggressive batting, uh, but in an orthodox fashion. And we've also, as you mentioned, they, they've got a pretty good track record of comebacks as well. Another, another one of the pre-season pre-series quotes has been from Mitchell Stark. What are they going to do if they're 55 for six? Well, I mean, we we've seen we that. We saw already. that. They were 55, yeah. we were 55, they were 55 for six uh, headingly. Out steps Jamie Overton on debut. Hits 97 with a century from Bairstow and turns the test around. So it is this complete belief. 
I'm, I guess the question for me, and similar to that World Cup that you mentioned, is does come the main event, and let's, we can't escape the fact the Ashes is the main event, but does that, does that see them tighten up a bit? Does that see them start to question themselves if things don't go right? I mean, mm. that's the kind of thing I, I would have thought with the, the, kind of, the kind of energy that Stokes and McCullum are breathing through the dressing room, I, you probably feel like they're going to be resistant to that. And that they will they will keep backing themselves to go with it, but yeah, it's going to be absolutely um, fascinating to see how that combines with you know a damn good Australia team right now. Yeah, because the whole idea of the way they bat is that um, they'll create more bad balls to them because of the pressure they'll transfer onto the the opposing seam lineup, and I'm and I'm sure that's the 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 conditioning that Cummins and Stark Hazelwood. Boland, Denise, etc., have been doing like almost above the shoulders. You know, if you go for 16 from an over, that you you can't drop your bundle and, and lose the plot. So, yeah, watching that yeah. back and forth and those exchanges when England do have a good half an hour, that that's going to be the most telling part of the series, I think. And, and if it can work the whole way through, and uh, the price signal it'll send to the market writ large. I mean, if if teams around the world start playing Test cricket this way, it'll probably change the way that it's seen. You know, and this is what. Was it McCullum who first said this last year when he took over as coach? Saying he wanted to like be the saviour of Test cricket. Grandiose ambition, but mm. who knows? It, it might be the best chance we have given the direction of travel with Test cricket outside of the big three or four countries. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think that those kind of words will, will be slightly nauseating for some ears. You know, for some people, they'll, they'll hear that and think, you know, blimey, get off your high horse, right? Yeah. In, you know, sorry, what you've taken unilaterally just taken the draw off the table. Like, who does that, right? So they, they, I expect there'll be a bit of you know, feeling that England's a little bit cocky here, but equally, you can't argue that the Test cricket hasn't been. It's been so compelling yeah, yeah. Up, to, up to now. And I think another thing that you mentioned about the that's worth mentioning about the batting inherent in this tactic is the playing the long game. And uh, if they can get big scores on the board quickly, then what that does is it opens up the canvas for their bowlers to try and chisel out, you know, t- 20 wickets. Mm. We saw that. Recently. I think that's why they want these these kind of flat, fast pitches that they're asking for here because they see it as the full five days and they back themselves to come back from a, a first innings deficit uh, because they see, I think, probably third innings is probably the, where, where, the, where, the, where the game's won and lost. Well, Ali, you're also the the, uh, the, the chair of the welcoming committee. I, uh, we're going to be all joining you for a beer on Thursday night in Birmingham ahead of the first Ashes test and, and so it'll go. It's going to be just chaos, isn't it? We've got six and a half weeks of... Uh, uh, flat knacker cricket and um, wouldn't want to be anywhere else and uh, yeah it's going to be great catching up with it with you throughout as well and reading how you frame it all up for the Guardian you must be just just uh, you must just be uh, fizzing at the moment knowing that this will be the series that with your writing and with your work with the Guardian is probably read more than ever before yeah yeah I guess with that I've got to not think about the sort of heightened pressure that comes with it but yeah <laughs> really looking forward to it and it is it's great to have the Aussie pack over as well you know because um we had that COVID series and it was kind of, you know, it's tricky, obviously trying to catch yeah. up with mates, but there were all sort of restrictions and we found ourselves having to leave states early or not even be able to get into some states mm-hmm. and what have you. But so to be reunited with the Aussie pack and uh, and continue the verbal sparring with them is, uh, is just another added bonus for people like us who, are, you know, have the best jobs in the world. Ali Martin, best of luck with your work over the next uh, little while and uh, great to have you back on The Final Word. Top man. Cheers, Colo. Great to have Ali with us again. I think he's only ever been on the final word when we've been kind of right in the thick of an Ashes series. So it's only right that given we're off to his home ground at Edgbaston that we have him on uh, this week to go through yeah, the fascinating Mo and Ali story. I, I must admit, I'm a, a stifter worried about this from Moeen's perspective. I've always been such a huge fan of his. I know that 200 wickets and 2,000 runs is like right there for him. Like One good test match, he could tick both boxes and go down with some of the great all-rounders. But I just fear having not bowled with a red ball for a couple of years, 
his batting has deteriorated in the last couple of years, even in white ball cricket. Not not all white ball cricket, but looking at England in isolation. I just hope this works out okay. Although in saying that, he's, as Ali points out, uh, Moeen is everything you could want in a senior pro these days, you know, mid, mid-30s and been around forever and captained England in, in white ball cricket going back to 2020. So if anyone's going to have the, the fortitude to get through tough times, he will. But it, it's... It's not an inconsiderable gear shift from not having any expectation of playing red ball cricket ever again to being thrust into the uh, to the madness that is an Ashes series at yeah, home. But maybe coming into it at the last minute without even having to think about it, he'll be free as a bird. He'll That's just true. come in and play. It might be the summer of Mo. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Um, yeah, we kind of went around in circles about what England might do with their bowling lineup, but I suppose the more aggressive of the options is starting with Wood. And then having Anderson and Robinson then brought in reserve in a similar way to Australia will with Hazelwood to, to potentially come in and help with the rotation at Lords and Leeds and beyond? Well, I think you have to start with Mark Wood and you have to start with Stuart Broad to bowl to Australia's left-handers. Those two are non-negotiable. And if Anderson's fit, you kind of have to pick him when he's fit these days because it's no sure thing. You know, he has these niggles, something twangs, wakes up feeling weird. You know, if he's if he's ready to go, you need to use him, don't you? That would that would mean leaving out Robinson, though, and I, yeah. I just I can't see them doing that. So it, I mean, it's a good problem to have. It's similar to the Australian issue, really, isn't it? That that four doesn't go into three, but I doubt we'll have the same. It's not like an Ashes series of old where it's played over. Well, even ten years ago, where it might be played over eight or nine or ten weeks with two games in between, and you can you look at the two thousand and one Ashes where Australia had the luxury of having McGrath, Gillespie. Lee and Warren play all five test matches. That just can't happen these days. Yeah, or even, you know, 17, 18, Australia had Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins, Lyon for four of the five, yep. and Stark missed one in there. 13, 14, Australia had the same four unchanged yep, throughout. Right. Yep. So that has tended to be a pattern. But this is different because there aren't the breaks in between matches. There's what? There's an eight-day gap between the the second and third tests mm. and that's about it or it's the third and fourth anyway somewhere in there that's a, that's as good as it gets and the other question that's always posed is well will England keep playing the way they are at the moment if things don't go well in the first and second test matches like Ali discussed this as well but yeah and I share his view they will it hasn't worked for them doing the other thing it's so. that but it's also like I just can't see them you know um, pulling on the handbrake and saying we're going to change we're going to revert to a game plan that would be thoroughly inconsistent with everything they've done in the last 12 months and enjoyed so much success. I think if it doesn't work, they'll go down in a it'll, it'll go down in a blaze of glory kind of exercise. Might as they'll, well. They'll, they'll, yeah, so what it makes for is just a, a compelling series. If England beat Australia over here, what a great way to start the new World Test Championship cycle as well, given that Australia have now held up the mace and all the rest of it, and that all starts again at Birmingham on Friday as well. Yep, it'll be um, all guns blazing from the top. Crawley, Duckett, Pope. Root, Brook, Stokes, Bairstow, Moeen. It is a deeper batting lineup with Moeen there. That, that's yeah. undoubtedly the case. Stokes, after I spoke to Ali, he sent me a text saying Stokes was going to have a bowl at training with the knee brace on. So, you know, again, that augurs well for England. If Stokes can get out, I don't know, seven overs in innings, they feel a far more balanced side um, yep. just in terms of the rotations and, and being able to go to a guy who is hostile with his pace as well. It's a big call, but mm-hmm. um, you, you wouldn't want to have him do a knee and be unable to bat, but he's made a tough stuff. Yeah, Wokes, Tongue and Potts are kind of the second line bowlers, yep. I guess. Dan Lawrence, the one to reserve bat, who's another baseball style yeah. um, Lawrence and Jackson will be the next two, regardless yep. of what happens, I reckon. Livingston? 
Yeah, yeah, he might be the next as well. I would think you got Lawrence and Jacks, then, then Livingston, and there would, yeah, probably right. a blanket over a few of them after that. You've just run the 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 Edinburgh Half Marathon, but apparently people are signing up to do the marathon again yeah. in a year's time. We, we've what's, already, what, what is with these lunatics? <laughs> Will Palmer, who did the half with me, signed up to do the the full marathon at Edinburgh next okay. year for the Tabs, and Haley Fuller's in again, and um, we're we're taking another group there next year, but. We're also going between times to Edinburgh in August. Monday, the 21st of August, we've agreed we're going to do this now. I saw Will Day a couple of times over the weekend, Pat McKee on last weekend. There will be a group of us, and I'm encouraging, I'm recruiting as we speak, to go up and play cricket on the 22nd for the Tabs. The Scottish branch of the Lord's Taverners will be on the 22nd, and we'll have a final word game on the 23rd. So get in touch with me, and we will organise the trains and so on together. The plan is to go up first thing on Monday, the 21st, go and see Fringe Festival shows 21st 22nd 23rd which will be great yep. and play two games of cricket make it a, a final word lord lord's tabs trip and um keep our association with the tabs all the way through uh, 2023 and beyond let's break and then it'll be segment finale number three hi i'm natalie jimonis and you're listening to the final word with jeff lemon and adam collins that's final word, Jeff Lemon, Adam Collins. You probably know that by now if you've made it this far through the show, but I don't know. Somehow it's just, it's, it's, it's like re- repetitive behaviour. It's like, did you ever have one of those quirks of like turning your light switch on and off multiple times or like having to tap the door frame before you went through uh, it? I have a few of? issues with this, yes. Yeah. I've, I've been known to have some uh, compulsive tendencies, so right. I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, all of your devices must be charged to 100% For at all example. times. Or they're at 2%. Like, it's, it's one or the other. Exactly. You. Yeah. Right. The England women's Ashes squad has been named. Now, this is interesting because, I mean, they last played a test match almost a year ago. They could pick the same 11 out of this squad. So, Tammy Beaumont and Emma Lamb would open. Heather Knight at three. Nat Siverbrunt. Sophia Dunkley. Then you'd have Amy Jones, the keeper, at six. Alice Davidson-Richards, the all-rounder, made a century in that test match, so would be um, fairly unlucky to miss out this time around. Sophie Eccleston, the premier spinner and can bat. And then Kate Cross, Izzy Wong, Lauren Bell, that's the pace trio they went with last time, so those would be the 11. The other options floating around in the squad, Danny Wyatt is there as a very experienced bat and an aggressive option scoring-wise. Alice Capsey, the young all-rounder, who they like, but who's coming back from injury, so might not be so much a bowling option with a spin. And then there's Danny Gibson, the all-rounder, and Lauren Filer, who's a a swing, right-arm swing bowler. They're both 22 uh, years of age. How about this? This this seems extraordinary to me. Danny Gibson, who was a reserve for the T20 World Cup, has been playing domestic cricket since 2014. She's 22 years old. (laughs) She sounds like a gnarled old county pro who's been around since 2014. She started playing when she was 13, um, and now she's in an England squad after like a decade of domestic cricket. How different domestic women's cricket was in 2014 compared to what it is now. And and you can kind of see that through someone like Lauren Filer, right? Like she's been doing her thing and, and posting good numbers domestically, but the fact that the... Rachel Hayho Flint in the Charlotte Edwards Cup. The gap is smaller now to international cricket than it ever has been before in England, and that's a great thing. You go back to, you know, you mentioned before that Tammy Beaumont was playing in, in T20 internationals back in, in 2012 when there was just no competitive tension coming through from the level below. So, yeah, yeah. it's another big tick in the box of um, 
the domestic setup, which is now into its fourth year, the regional system in the case of Fala. She's got that nice open action as well, so she'll bring the ball. Well, she can move it both ways, but open action and mm. a nice approach to the crease as well. So I wouldn't rule that out entirely if they wanted to go for someone doing that. Wong, extra pace, Bell, they like a lot. Less pace than Wong, but tall, bounce, cross, senior pro. That's a pretty good trio to go with there. And you'd expect a little bit out of the track at Nottingham like you'd, you'd hope so get, gets a little bit of pace and carry compared to some others you, you would hope so wouldn't you you'd hope the track at, at Nottingham for a women's test would be similar to what we get with men's test cricket where you get a lot in it on day one um, I'm not going to get I too want them to juice the shit out of it I want like yeah. the Brisbane the Gabba pitch for South Africa sure. for a women's test I want to see what happens then yeah I, I don't want to get I too... want a Barry Bonds pitch <laughs> you know I want them to inject everything they've got in there and let's see how, how far can we go I hope we don't get dragged down into the used pitch versus not used pitch debate that's kind of completely overtaken the conversation in, in recent women's test matches like if a pitch is used once for a T20 men's game it does not make it not a fresh enough pitch you know what I mean so and as you get with feedback when you talk to curators and ground staff around the cricketing world like there's used pitches and there's used pitches right like so it won't be one that's been trampled all over six times in the season it'll be I'm sure of a high enough standard that everybody's everybody should be satisfied the other one who isn't in the squad's Laura Winfield Hill she's captaining England A mm. against the Australian team who are warming up against them so they, yep. they warm Australia up against each other yeah, yeah they warm up against each other so the England A team play Australia mm -hmm. the Australia A team play England and like penguins they warm up against each other yeah as well. and then they have their that's how they survive they have an those England, cold winters they balance their eggs <laughs> on their feet they have an Incredible. England A series that follows against Australia A on a multi-format sort of system as well which is right. a good thing having a shadow tour but Winfield Hills captaining England A at Derbyshire for that I wouldn't be surprised if she's back for the for the white ball stuff as the main keeper it wouldn't shock me um, given the way that she's been going uh, if they went back to her well time will tell but it feels like she's got another um, and I know we've already talked about this in in the last six months or so and the fact that she returned to the England setup during the T20 World Cup earlier this year but mm. yeah that, that stood out to me they made her captain of that side Danny White's never played a test match and she's playing both for England A and she's in the test squad so I wonder whether if she were to make runs if she might get I'm considered for one of those top six spots, although I don't right. really know which one it would be. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to see. Like, Emma Lamb's the least established, but she's also the most recent player to be backed. Yeah. So, in a way, she has to retain the full support of the board, as you, it you were. Can, like, and then you, the other five spots are all yeah, pretty I mean, much a... A slightly rogue call would be that Wyatt could bowl some spin, but, I mean, she doesn't do much of it anymore. She bowled some of it in the... Was it called the... Pakistan Super League Women's Challenge or whatever it was called this year, the, the three games they played there. Yeah. She bowled there. She bowled in one fair break game and not again. Um, so she's trying to improve her bowling and get back to where she was a few years ago. But I think she's a can bowl in a T20 where she might get one held at deep mid-wicket sort of spinner, not That's a, it. Not a I'm going to give you 22 overs on the on No, the I agree. Point. It's like when people say that Sophia Dunkley should be bowling bulk overs in international cricket. Well, she never has she, before. No. So and it's improbable that she's she... ropey. Her bowling's ropey. Well, she, she's like a lot of leg spinners who make it as a batter. Yeah. You might have heard of a guy called Steve Smith for example, they make the top level as a batter having yep. bold leg spin and their spin goes downhill and their batting goes up. Cause yeah, but also you, you can take wickets at a T20 level with licorice all sorts because yeah. there's a surprise factor. And Dunkley's a good bowler, by the way. Like both years I've, I've been commentating on her fair break performances and she's been one of the best in that tournament. She isn't, uh, she's more consistent than her discipline would suggest, but it's more like she hasn't been doing it for England, certainly sure. not in long form cricket. So there is a gap there between bowling four T20 overs and having to bowl like four spells in a day. Anyway, it's all ahead of us week after next at Nottingham. The Charlotte Edwards Cup and finals day was on the weekend at New Road 
uh, at Worcester, which of course flooded because that's what New Road does. So it had to spill over into the um, reserve day. They got the semi-final away where the Vipers made 191 for six. It was Danny White, as it seemingly always is for the Vipers in short-form cricket, making 76 from 50. And the Northwest Thunder, playing in their first final series, if you like, fell short by 18 runs. They made 173 for eight. Fee Morris top scored, but George Adams took a couple of wickets. The ever-reliable, which meant the final, which started on the Saturday and concluded on the Sunday between the Blaze, who were the top seed, and playing the Vipers, who came through via the semi. And the Blaze only made it to 114 for eight across two days. Maria Kelly uh, made 26 not out, top scored. Georgia Adams again, two for so consistent. And the Vipers got that in 14.2 overs to go back to back in the Charlotte Edwards Cup. So Charlotte Edwards, the coach, um, Charlotte Edwards Cup named after her and Danny White of course 50 from 28 to break the back of the chase so the Vipers after missing out on finals day in 2021 have, have done it in the last two years now Charlotte Edwards keeps her own cup I wonder if it was ever anywhere else or was it just sent to her to begin with to <laughs> hold on to to present it in the first year and then she just presents it to herself you know one for you one for me kind of situation yeah it's going to be really interesting watching her coaching career Lottie because she's now like they've done everything routinely the Vipers although not quite so well in the 50 over stuff so far this year so the second half of the season will be interesting on that front but you know coaching in the women's IPL oh sorry what, what are they calling it the women's Premier League I should say coaching in the Big Bash dominating in England, like she wants to coach England one day, would she go somewhere else between times? Would she coach New Zealand? Would she, you know I'm trying to say, like, would, might there be mm. an in-between step where she can get out of her comfort zone? And, yeah, um, learn something new. Yeah, and, learn, and, not, and that's not to, say that, not to say that like what she's doing at the moment isn't helping with that, big bash Women's Premier League, but yeah, might there be another international gig she might consider between times? I, I don't know. Yeah, I suppose so. But it does seem, it seems like a foretold homecoming that at some point oh, she'll yeah, be running yeah. that that England women's team. The county championship, Alistair Cook has ticked off another ton. That's 74. <laughs> I know you've been you've been on this, um, you, you've had this little perennial flame that's been burning that maybe he'll get to 100 hundreds. He's going to need to play for about another 15 years at the rate that he's going. Well, he's still got more runs than any opener in England this year. Yeah. Just worth noting. Um, yeah. Ton number 74 for Cookie. Does vaguely keep the dream alive. We're not going to do that round today because we're on day three of it. So there's no point us just doing days one and two. We'll, we'll return to it next week. But, yeah, the first block of Blast is done. A couple of county games back into the Blast. They splice between Red Bull and White Ball for a little while there over the next couple of weeks. Matt Critchley, I enjoyed the other day. I, was, you know, I sort of said on Twitter that if it doesn't work out for Mo and Ali, you know, he's the kind of guy they might just pick as a specky because he whacks it, basketball style, and he bowls leg spin. And he was on 113 not out overnight for Essex at the time. Eight runs on on day two. Got run out trying to run an all-run four, which I thought <laughs> is very baseball. Um, hey, it was a baseball you wouldn't need to run. True. There's no running involved. True, true, true. Craig Overton sent fans wild in that game as well, Somerset fans. So he hit the ball into the fielder at short leg, who was turned the other way. The ball ballooned up off the boot and was taken. As you see from time to time, nobody really knew what was going on. Yep. It was given out. The yeah, slow I saw motion, the clip of this. Yeah, the slow motion replay does suggests that the ball's bounced in front of his foot. No way in the world the fielder could tell at short leg when they're looking around taking evasive action. Sure. It's just, just one of those things. But yeah, it didn't They've still that, been hit. They don't know if they're hit on the full or not. Yeah, and I suppose your instinct is if the ball's ballooned up that it has hit you on the way down, not on the half volley, I, sure. I guess. But yeah, very angry supporters, Somerset, I've detected online over the years. They're kind of like an unsatisfied supporter group. Never won the county championship. Uh, and they wear every... Um, everything that doesn't go their way seems to fit into the broader sort of narrative that they've been hard done by they forever. They never won it. 
No, they've been runners-up six times since 2001, I think wow. I'm right to say. Um, but they've never actually won it. They've won plenty of white ball trophies. Um, you go back to the, the glory era, the late 70s and into the 80s, but yeah, they've, they've um, never never won the, the four-day stuff. And I, Them and Northants, are they the only um, ones who've never won? There is one other. Durham? Uh, Derbyshire. I think Derby, No, hang on. Derbyshire might have won it. You know, no, Durham have won it three times. Yeah, it's Northants. I think Derby came second once a million years ago, came second in 96 when DNA was there. But maybe they've never won it either. There's only a couple, is the point. Oh, and, um, and, and the Freaks, your mates at Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire. They've never won. I don't think they have. I think the other one had never actually won the whole thing. Huh. That's my, that's my recollection. Okay. I know Glamorgan have a few times. You just would have, I mean, you would have thought with WG Grace and whatnot, they would have got off, got up at some point. Guess so. Good. If right. I'm wrong, I'm sure I'll be told in the comments. Uh, you will. You will absolutely. <laughs> if there's one thing we know, don't be wrong on the internet. There's someone, someone <laughs> will let you know. All right. I think that's about enough from us this week on the final word, as in just the show that's just the final word. It's not the final word, something else. It's not story time. It's not the daily. It's not it's an just, interview. It's not an interview. It's just the show that, that we started making many, many years ago. It's quite different to that we, show. We started making this show. What are we now? We're in June, are we? So eight years we started ago. making this show almost eight years to today. The day before, I reckon if we were to classify what is the first episode of the final word, yeah, it was the episode we recorded at Lords with Vish and Will the day before the Cardiff Test match in 2015. I'm not even entirely sure that episode got published properly, um, but that's what I would call our, our date of origin. Okay. Do you remember that? We date recorded of origin. We mate versus mate. We recorded it in the tavern date stand um, at Lords before we jumped on a train. I remember, I remember of that day, you thinking we could get away with not buying a train ticket when going to Cardiff, that we could blag our way to Cardiff without a train ticket. We and did, I think. We, we kind of half did. We had to get off at the station after wherever we got on. Well, because we weren't able to get one for some reason. That was the, the rental car fiasco. It was, was the rental it? car fiasco. We yeah. went to pick up a rental car an hour after the time that we booked it for and were told that they'd given it to someone else because we weren't there. And I'm like, yeah, but we've, we've rented it. Like, it doesn't matter if we pick it up or not. We've, like, we could leave it in your fucking car park all week <laughs> if we want to. Like, that's your prerogative when you've rented it. And we were at you've Heathrow. Already paid for we, it. I, I, we must have been at Heathrow. Oh, we were miles outside of Heathrow. We were like, we had to take some shuttle bus to yeah. this joint that was, you know, kilometres down the road. And by this stage, it's the day before the test, you know, we're both covering yeah. it. We, we weren't commentating, but we needed to be there. So we're there in was the no ambiguity about us getting to Cardiff, and the train tickets were 400 pounds. Or crazy. Something. So we got one stop away, or a couple of stops away. Saw the train. Saw the inspectors. Jumped off. Bought another ticket, and said we'd only gotten on at that station. And once you're out of the London city limits have got a lot cheaper, something yeah, like that. Because we're in the middle of nowhere. There was like one, there were, a, there were a handful of random stations where it was like a 20 pound ticket instead of a 400 pound ticket yeah, for some yeah. reason. And we lucked out and got one of those stations. And, and we still worked. got back to stay, in my case, in a hostel. I don't remember where you stayed. You might have stayed in a hostel as well. Probably. Somewhere yeah. somewhere awful. I've got a vague memory of... Yeah. Yeah. Those were the brokest. Like, oh, yeah. we were so broke and we were just trying to survive three months in England with Australian currency that got destroyed I, on I was the working for $150 a day. Yeah. Which, you know, 80 quid a day. When you factor in everything else, that was... Food, transport, nothing. accommodation. Yeah, I yeah. was making quite a loss. And we... It's not like I had no money to start with because I had a previous life and all the rest of it but I was I was trying to make ends meet to make this a viable yeah ongoing project and here we are 
Patreon.com forward slash the final word if you want to keep it sustainable going forward. Um, nice uh, to do a little bit of retrospective there. We the, should check that out about that that anniversary as well. I'm looking at it here. So the first episode I've got is the is July 23rd with Phil Walker and Emma John. I, I think that that is the day after the... That's before Lords after Cardiff, or might be after Lords before Edgbaston. I, I count the one before where it was the four of us. I think what happened there was we were working for the ABC, doing it for them at the time, and they never turned it around and published it. So it went up on, right. I think one of us put it up on SoundCloud. Really? I wonder whether it exists somewhere. I feel like, yeah, okay. one of us put it up I on SoundCloud. I don't have it. I, I have everything else, but I don't have that. I'd like to find it. That's a little project during the week. Mm. It might even be on like my old SoundCloud account or something like that. The reason we put it up is because we went to all this effort of getting, you know, Vision Will to come out and record something with us. Yep. We didn't want to like not have it go up anywhere. So 43 people will have heard it on SoundCloud. Or 23 possibly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, see, see if you can track it down. Because I've got, yeah, I've got, I've got Vish with Ellie Mitchell on episode four of that season. That was in August. God, that season went late. We went through to the middle of September. We, we did. The, the one you're referring to was Phil. Emma John, you and me in a yep. BBC studio. That's right. Then there's one where you do, when I'm back in Australia at the Labor Party conference, you did one uh, with... Uh, I've got one with Will McPherson and Subash Jairani. Subash. That's yep. right. And then the next one after I've, that... I've got Izzy Westbury and Anna Lanning. That we did that after, at, um, the women's after the women's test. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then I've got Ellie Mitch and Vish. Don't um, remember that one. Where did we do that? Uh, we might have done that as well in the um, BBC studios. Yeah, that was in the studios. Yeah. And then I've got... Who have I got? There's one with Stefan Schemmel and you, Jesse me, Hogan, the great and man. Jesse Hogan, um, Jesse Hogan, of course. On in the the middle of September, I reckon that's um, the last one, one before that, that with Melinda Farrell. Oh, that was done at a pub in Southampton. Yep. And the one with with Hogs was done on our last day of tour, wasn't it? Yep. Australia played that one day series in Southampton, and we had to find the microphones. Remember, we um, were in Wales. I don't even know why we went to, but we I lost in the back of a cab our microphone yep. and cable. I left it in the, the seat in front of us and we didn't really understand how we were going to get the audio recorded on a camera. So we didn't. We pretended to, for those videos we did for the ABC, yeah, we were holding microphones and weren't plugged, plugged in. in. <laughs> and we thought we can't get away with that for a podcast. We what need a to have proper audio. So we um, went to an audio shop in, I think it was Cardiff. Yeah. Because we were at a one day there or something. Yeah, yeah. There's slightly. Sli that's right. There was a bunch of white ball stuff happening afterwards. And that's where we got the Watto. The Watto, the big rig. Um, the big rig, the yeah, I rig. Yeah, this is the, this is a convoluted. This is a piece of equipment called the I rig, which we then started calling the big rig, that's which the we Watto. then started calling Shane Watson, which we then started calling Watto. And to this day, literally last week, Adam said, "Do you have Watto with you?" And I knew what he meant. Still works. All these years later. Um, yeah, I think we got Watto in in Cardiff somewhere. No, we got Watto in Brisbane. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. before that. But we got a, a version of something that plugged the following, into the following the following year though, the following a, season. Microphone into, you know, XLR into AUX or whatever the no Lightning wasn't it, whatever it is, was a big deal for us. It was it was, it was a um, it was a one eighth mini jack at one that point. Mini jack. That's a, yeah, that's but right. Before the iPhone that's had right. moved past um, universal ports. So anyway, that's the that's the story, and well, we're still scrapping around in our own way. Let us end the show there. It has been the final word. Jeff Lemon, Adam Collins, we can't stop and we won't stop. Stick with us for the ashes. It's coming up. We'll have our, our next episode. Our next Thursday. episode, we're going to be on the field at Edgbaston. Yep. We're also recording a story time summary, which will come out on the weekend. Yep. I, I liked yesterday's story time. I hope you good. did too. Fewer numbers because we're absolutely slammed, but 
worth doing anyway. Yeah, but ended up with quite a few revisits. Yeah. Um, so it ended up with quite a few stories as it was. All right, that's enough from us. Final words. See you next time. Bye. I had to go.